Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of Sky Women. I have with me today, Dr. Elham Raker. She's a board-certified pediatrician and parent coach. And after working in multiple clinical settings, she realized what she loved most was spending time counseling and coaching parents, which is how Ask Dr. Mom was born. It's a virtual medical practice and coaching platform where parents can get trusted information from the comfort of their own home. Welcome, Dr. Raker. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited we um, are getting to do this. Absolutely. Well, welcome and let's get started. What are, well, let's talk about your journey. Let's start with that. Let's talk about your journey to this untraditional role, right? Yeah. <laughs> Outside of academia, private yeah. practice. How was Ask Dr. Mom really born? Well, it's like I said, I've been in multiple different settings since graduating residency. I started following around my husband, who's also a physician. And he was in training when we got married. So we moved to different cities based on where he needed to be. And it was hard from a career standpoint because I couldn't just start somewhere and stay there or really establish myself. It was more just, it felt more like jobs. Um, And then when I had kids, I really wanted to be available as much as possible. So I wanted to work part-time and and so on and so forth. So everywhere I worked seemed temporary. What I did get is a really wide range of experience, which was fantastic. Um, and you know, my last stint before I asked Dr. Mom was doing house calls. And I loved the ability to spend time in patients' homes. I think it really, given that we had, you know, this certain amount of time. We, we had more time than we would in the clinic. It was about a half hour visit or as long as we needed really. And being in that comfort of your own home and, and the child was more comfortable, it just kind of flowed well. So I really enjoyed that. Someone had approached me about doing a telemedicine advice type thing with them a while back. So pre-COVID, pre, you know, any of us knew much about telehealth. And I loved that idea. I thought it was fascinating. I'm like, hmm, I could just stay home <laughs> and, and, you know, do what I love, but then also be a mom and kind of do things on my own schedule. And so we explored that option and it just didn't work out to work together. So that's when I decided to go out on my own. And during COVID, the idea of parent coaching really came up because I love, you know, telehealth was great. I can help you quickly, I can help you at least get you to the right place, right? Like if it's weekends or after hours when your doctor was closed. But I also really loved and thought parents needed a little bit more, a little bit more, period. So, you know, in the typical office visit, you have maybe 10 or 15 minutes and it's rushed and there's other patients waiting and you've been waiting for a long time. It just didn't always feel right. And I hated when I couldn't fully answer patients' questions. So that's where the idea came from. And the coaching, I thought, just added a natural twist to what I wanted to do, what pediatricians really do want to do. We just don't have the time, unfortunately, in the office setting. 
and seeing patients or seeing uh, people ask, you know, in Facebook groups about parenting advice and advice about their kids to strangers. I'm like, "Mm, let's change the conversation and make sure that they're going somewhere to get the right advice. Not that getting advice from your friends and family, you know, that's, you have to take all that with a grain of salt, but there could be some good, good pearls in there for sure. sure. But it just didn't seem like that was the place, right? I didn't want parents to feel like that's the place that they should get their advice ultimately. So yeah, I wanted to provide an outlet for that. And I wanted to provide a way that parents can do that easily, comfortably, and just, you know, parenting is my passion. That's why I went into pediatrics. It's why I decided to work part-time. It's why I looked for a career that allowed me to be with my kids. That was just such a natural extension of what I wanted to do, you know, increase my skill as a parent and then share that. That's amazing. I think that so many parents were absolutely struggling in the height of COVID. They were working from home, trying to manage school, you know, virtual school (laughs) and all of the things. I know it nearly sent my sister over the edge with three small kids and her and her husband both working from home. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Unfortunately, my kids were doing their own schoolwork and had that. And that was hard enough. Like with the little kids where you had to sit with them, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a lot for anyone. Right. Absolutely. So I love this, that we're, you're making space, a safe space for parents to get expert information. So whenever you're providing virtual medical care, that's only in the state of California, right? But your parent coaching. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Okay. So most of my listeners are moms or you know young professional women who may be planning to become a mom or now they're entering being a grandparent and watching their daughter or daughter-in-law's mother right and i love this concept of really making space for you to parent and have the career that you want. I think that they're, you know, a lot of people want to stay home and they know that they want to stay home, right? Or maybe they're totally shocked and shaken by having a child and realize, wow, mothering has completely changed me and I want to be home even though I'm an attorney, right? Right. Right. (laughs) And and then there's those who know that they're going to work full-time forever and, and continue to do that. And that's fine, right? There's, there's all kinds of different ways to make it work. But I love hearing you say that, you know, this felt temporary and these different opportunities allowed you to really kind of mold and mesh to make the career that you wanted so that you were fully available for your kids. Yeah. I think it's a journey, like you said, and I think that we have so many more options available to us than let's say when I first started on my motherhood journey, which is fantastic, you know, between technology in general. And I think COVID really accelerating all that. We really do have all these other work from home options or, you know, part-time or entrepreneurship, kind of whatever makes you happy. So I think for me, like I said, when I first became a mom, I knew I didn't want to work full-time. So I knew I was that that in between, you know, like I wanted to continue my skills. I went to school for a long time, trained for a long time, didn't want to give that up, but I wanted to be the mom, you know, I wanted to be the room mom. I wanted to be the mom that picks up the kids. I wanted to go to 
the 10th, 100th performance of whatever they do at school (laughs) that you're like, okay, that was fun, but I wanted to be there. So I think that, like you said, I think whatever you're at, so whether you're the full-time working mom or the stay-at-home mom or in between, number one is letting go of the guilt. Because I think we always have this like, oh my God, I work all the time. I'm missing out on my kids. Oh my God, I'm home all the time. I'm not really, you know, contributing to society. Whatever it is, it's like, yes. I think we all need to let go of that because ultimately you're doing whatever is best for you and your family. And I think kids benefit from both. I really do. I think seeing a mother that works sends an amazing message to kids. I think having a mother that stays home sends an amazing message to kids, you know? And I think that, we need to maximize on whatever that message is to them and make sure they know that, yes, there's other ways to raise a family and yes, there's other ways to do things, but there's benefits to all of it. Definitely for me, starting like my at-home business before this, I included the kids in it and there was times that they were truly proud of me. And I'm like, I went to med school and residency, like that's a big thing, but they were not proud of that. They weren't a part of that. They didn't get that. Mm. And it's something I did away from them. I went to be a doctor. So when I was at home working on a business, you know, and I was getting milestones or this and that and included them in it, they were like, oh, wow, that's awesome. So I think when you're look at it from a different perspective and take away the guilt, whatever that may be, and just do what works for you. And I think sometimes you, the the issue may be that, you know, I want to stay home, but I have to work, right? There's the financial things, but that's okay too, because you're really teaching your kids something important about life and about that we have to make certain sacrifices and make things work. And you can still be there for them an incredible amount, even I truly believe as a full-time mom. So, you know, I always say quality over quantity, hundred percent. So I think for me and what I'd want to share with others is keep searching for that thing that works for you, right? If, if it's not the typical one or the other, look for the hybrid and, you know, think about things that you like to do and don't worry about your kids, they'll mesh in there, right? Like once you have their kind of basic needs covered and once, you know, you're able to be there for the things that they need you for, go and do the things that make you happy too. It'll make you a better person and a mom overall. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think you'll show up as a better human, as a better partner, as a better mother, a hundred percent. And I agree with you that kids absolutely adapt and they are happy whenever you are happy, right? I mean, even my eight-year-old knows that mom is the barometer of the family. Mom, nobody's happy. Yep. Right? So happy wife, happy life, right? Stop shooting all over your life, right? Stop saying what you should be doing, like own whatever it is you're doing. And if you don't like it, make your changes, make your adjustments and kids will adapt. Not that they won't like send those emotional daggers on certain days, right? (laughs) Well, they'll send them anyway. Every day. I mean, you know, the teenagers, right? They will send them whether you're 
with them all the time or they're gone all the time. So yeah. might as well do what works for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, I've got mom questions coming in from mom groups from school. Okay. So I'm going to ask you yeah. some of those questions. Yeah. But first let's start about kids and just their emotional state, right? So didn't matter what age, we've got big feelings. And I know like my three-year-old, he's the boss baby, right? And he, <laughs> there is no veering or compromise on decision-making. He knows what he wants and he wants it his way, right? Where yeah. the world who is, or he's now six, they change so quickly, you know, yeah. emotional just this emotional state meltdown over things and being on its own schedule. And, or my eight-year-old who's completely strong willed and will run the world. I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. I have one of those too. And then, you know, when we get into the teen years, even this has been a really challenging year as a mom with the teenager. It has mm -hmm. been really, really challenging. And again, there's big emotions and sometimes it feels like a toddler in, in a man's body, right? <laughs> So yes. how do we as parents manage when our kids are having these big emotions? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I love how you went through each age because they are a little bit different, right? Obviously a toddler is going to react differently than a teenager or eight-year-old. But the truth is it's all kind of the same. It's all the same deep down emotional stuff going on. And I think the most important thing is not to judge your child by his size. So just like you said, the 17 year old is like a man child. <laughs> and, you know, that could go on for a long time. It could go on even into adulthood. We know the frontal cortex is not developed till age 26, maybe later, who knows. But, you know, I, I think the most important is not having those expectations that why can't they deal, right? Like, why can't they do this? Because then we just set ourselves up and set them up for failure. In, in that emotional realm. So I think number one is just expect the meltdowns, expect, you know, the tantrums, expect the teenagers hormonal roller coaster and roll with it. <laughs> the second thing is in those moments, it's really important that we center and ground ourselves. So whether, you know, you exercise, you meditate, you Whatever your mechanism is, it's really important to have those available to you in those moments where your kids are off the rails and they need you to be on the rails. And if you're both off the rails, then nothing good will come out of that. So sure, I think, but if, you're um, in the middle, if you're in the throes of it, like say they're having a meltdown or they're arguing with you and you're trying to prepare dinner. Do you take a time out? Do you meditate as you're preparing dinner and ignore them? <laughs> like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on you and where you're at. Ideally, you get to a point where you can kind of get to the place you need to be without taking the time out. But if you need to take a time out, take a time out. I, I think what's important is that we're teaching our kids that, hey, we need to calm down too. Right. And this is something that you're going to have to do your whole life. So I'm going to take a minute because I'm not ready to do this right now. And I'll be right back. And I think the most important message when you do do that, though, it's to make sure that you they know that you're not like abandoning them 
or, you know, leaving or, or anything like sending a message that I can't handle what you're saying to me right now. So I need to leave, but more that I just need to calm down. I'll be right back. Or if they are in a tantrum and they're maybe in their room or somewhere and, you know, maybe be physically near them or maybe just right outside of their door. So they know that you're there, Mm -hmm. but you're taking like your big deep breaths or whatever it may be next to them and do that. And that's okay. I mean, that's an important step to show them that that's what you need to do. Sometimes you may have to scratch dinner or put it on pause. And maybe dinner's later, or maybe you do takeout that night. You know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds crazy, but I think in that moment, you have to just understand that your job is your kid Mm. and everything else has to pause. Mm. It just, you know, as hard as it is, and it may not happen all the time, it may, there may be times where you're just like, we have to get this done. We have to get to this next thing. And then, and there are other ways to kind of get through that, but as much as possible, you kind of have to put everything on pause and just be there. So you're saying just be present with them, allow them to feel the big feelings, but create space for you to pause and and calm down yourself. Yes. Because if you aren't able to calm down, they're not going to be able to calm down because they're most likely like borrowing your calm. You know, so we call it co-regulating and even, even kids, older kids need that, right? They may be kind of in that lower brain where they're not really able to process and think. And if we're in that lower brain too, right, even though we have that developed frontal cortex, but we're not there because our sympathetic system, right? The fight or flight is rapid fire, then we can't help them get there. So I think reminding yourself of that over and over and over. And even if it's like, oh my God, we've done this like a hundred times. Why are they not getting it? It takes time to get there from a developmental standpoint and just learning that, right? And if it's, and if they're a little older, it may take longer because we're now building new neural pathways that maybe weren't there before. So I think a lot of patience and presence, that's probably my number one thing is just being there for the kids. And when they are having those big emotions, it's saying to them that your big emotions are not scary for me, right? That I can handle it. It's okay. We'll get to it. We'll get, we'll get through it together. And then empathizing with them with whatever may be going on, right? Even if you feel like they may not deserve empathy, (laughs) you know, whatever the situation may be, it may be hard to kind of see it, but it's important to see it from their viewpoint because whatever's going on in them is, is causing that major emotional outburst. So it's really important for them. And if we don't acknowledge that, it's just going to build up these emotions in them that are going to end up erupting in other ways. So it's trying to melt that kind of shell. And a lot of times I think we forget, but for some reason we feel like we need to treat kids in a certain way and forget about how we want to be treated. But truly, if we're having a bad day and, you know, everything kind of went wrong and we come home and we go to our spouse or whoever, and and we're just kind of complaining and and they say, okay, you know what, why don't you go to your room and just calm down and just be by yourself. And when you're ready, you can come on and talk to me. And you're like, wait, no, I'm what? I'm talking to you. Like I need to talk to you, you know? So I think we just kind of forget that 
kids need the same space, the same courtesy, the same respect, the same kind of things that we would expect as adults. But, you know, you said something really important. And I don't know if it was we were talking before during the interview, but it's a lot of it is about what's going on with us as parents. So a lot of these things that come up trigger something. Mm -hmm. So the deep work, the hard work is figuring that out. Yeah, I like what you just said. Parenting to how the child needs to be parented versus how you were parented or how you thought you should be parented, right? And that totally resonates with me because I feel like that I parented my 16-year-old, he turned 17 this month, the way that I wished that I was parented. Not that my parents were bad or anything. You know, I had a loving, safe home environment. Yeah, absolutely. Very strict and very firm and very my way and, you know, don't need to hear your opinions. And so I have always given my child opinions and always given a lot of space and maybe been a little too lenient in places. Whereas now as he's growing and I'm growing as a parent, I'm learning, oh, you know, I, I, this is not what he needs. This is what I right. want. <laughs> Right. Not what he needs. And so we have to pivot and, and change and direct. So I think it's, it's interesting to consider that, you know, even under the same roof, your multiple children may need to be parented differently. Yes. Yes. And we do, I think we go into parenting with certain expectations yes. and if we don't get those out, then it's a disappointment. But, you know, the best analogy that I heard about that is that if you plant seeds expecting to get an apple tree, but they're actually a tomato and you're, you're watering it like it's an apple tree and it's just not thriving and it's not growing. And you actually have tomatoes, which are awesome, right? But they're not apples. So I think it's just knowing that, you know, one kid needs you in a certain way, another kid needs you in another way, and it's not better or worse. It's just different. And when you have one expectation and it's different, it just takes time to, like you said, pivot and realize, okay, well, this kid is more, is more a tomato <laughs> and just treating him like that. So I, yeah, that's always been an analogy that I appreciated. I like that. I like that. Okay. So, I mean, I probably could ask you a hundred parenting questions myself because I have four very strong-willed and individual boys. Um, yeah. But to go to the gallery here, I have a collection of mom friends who have kind of weighed in and asked some questions. So we're going to do a little yeah. bit of fire. Okay. All right. What's the best way to handle when your five-year-old takes an hour to eat every meal? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the best advice around feeding is your child gets to decide what and how much they eat. You get to decide when and where they eat, right? So I think that if you really are having a hard time with them taking a long time and it just, it also depends, like some kids that age are just grazers and, you know, it may become a habitual grazer, but I think you can set up meal times and that's totally okay. So we're eating dinner from this to this time. We're eating lunch from this to this time, you know, and just maybe give them like a five minute warning, but you know, we're almost done. <laughs> time to clean up and, and just make it like a thing. Like we're just now all going to clean up together. 
generally it's more as they get older, it's like the rapid dating that becomes an issue. Slow dating is actually kind of a good thing because you're really letting your mind and body connect and stop eating when you're full and things like that. So I would say, you know, also making sure there's no distractions at the table. Like, are they watching TV or is there other stuff going on? Cause that will extend the time that they eat. Cause it's just mindless eating. So you right. want it to be mindful. You want them to be kind of focused on the food, the conversation, yeah. ideally, and then just set up an end time. That's okay. They'll make it up for the next meal. They'll, they'll get what they need. Oh, just setting an end time. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking like trying to get kids fed and out the door in the morning and like somebody's just piddling with their breakfast or don't start eating breakfast until you say it's time to go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 So I think maybe just, you know, setting up for success. So what is something they can eat quickly? What is something they can potentially eat in the car if they didn't eat it? Right. So like thinking of breakfast that you can take on the go, cause that's more just like, okay, we got to go. We got to get this done. So trying to get something small, but nutritious in them in the mornings, <laughs> you know, and just thinking around that way, as opposed to trying to get the kid to eat faster, because that's, you know, again, we can't control those things. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, maybe making like a power muffin <laughs> that you can warm up in the morning and it's just ready to go. And it gives them enough of the nutrients that they need to at least get them through a couple hours. I mean, they have like snack, what, like an hour and a half later. <laughs> and some kids are, are not that hungry in the morning. They're just not. I mean, it, it's important to get them to eat. I really do try to get them to eat because they have to be on, right? Especially older kids, they're, they're like taking these classes. They need to think, but they're just not that hungry. So just think of something small that's nutritionally packed, fat and protein. Right, right. Yeah, I love to make these little fruit and yogurt parfaits and my kids will eat with whole yogurt. They'll eat some chai seeds and some nuts and berries on top and they love it. And I just usually put it in containers that we can take because we have a lot of backseat breakfast club. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. You know, yeah, you got to make it work. Yeah, because we have to get to school on time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how to avoid getting into a power struggle with your strong-willed eight-year-old. I mean, this I could have written this myself. <laughs> this right? Day in my house. <laughs> so I think the most important thing is understanding what's going on underneath. And that's not always easy, right? But whatever they're coming at you with, I promise is probably not the main issue that they're having. So anytime that you're getting into these, like whether it's a talk back or a power struggle, it's like, what are they really needing? You know, another good phrase that I've learned throughout my parenting journey is um, every behavior represents an unmet need. Mm -hmm. So what is going on in them? What need isn't being met that they're trying to assert themselves in that way? And I know that's not something you can necessarily do in the moment. I get that, but that's definitely something you want to think about. I also think it goes back to what we talked about with the tantrums, being present, right? Like not getting upset necessarily. Like you don't talk to me that way, <laughs> you know, or when the kids come back with talk back, it's just like calm, right? Mm -hmm. They're not, I mean, maybe they are trying to hurt you or, or trying to say whatever they're saying, but they don't really mean it. So understand that. Um, center yourself and just get them through that moment. So presence, empathy, you know, I hear what you're saying. I understand how you're feeling. 
yes, it's not fair or yes, it's, you know, whatever the situation may be, really empathize with them and then try to problem solve ideally together, you know, especially with an eight-year-old. And if you can't do it in the moment, you know, do it later when you're both calm, but come up with like a collaborative kind of problem solving thing so that you don't have those situations. Okay. So I'm going to give some specifics just for my life, yeah. throwing a kid under the bus, but yeah, yeah tell me. Who's like, pick the pug. I don't know if you've read that book. <laughs> pick the no, pug. I haven't. Okay. It's two little imagine. dogs and pig the pug is me, me, me. That's my, my mind. Right. And then the other uh, dog in the story is Trevor. And um, I'll tell you when pug was kind to him, that was never. <laughs> so I have a pig and a Trevor in my house. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, how do you deal with that situation when one kid is like, you know, it's mine and I'm the best and you know, all of that, are you saying that that's an unmet need where maybe they're not feeling self-assured or they're it could be. how old is, how old is the pig? Eight. Eight. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I think that there could be a need for something there that is unmet. Are they not getting the attention that they need? Are they not feeling like maybe certain things are really important to them and that's not being respected, you know? So everything is mine because they can't get anything of their own. So they're kind of going the other, like to the other extreme of like, well, then I'm going to take everything. So yeah, I would definitely explore that with them and you can make guesses. You can make empathy guesses to start the conversation. But yeah, there's something going on that's making them feel like, I have to have all of this, right? And then if you really can't figure it out, then it's just going back to, okay, well, we have to figure out how to work together in the family, right? Like we have to make it work. So if they're just saying, well, I think all the toys are mine. It's like, okay, well, we can't do that or all the whatever is mine. But what are some things that are really special to you that we can make sure that only you can have? and put those aside for them, right? Mm-hmm. And make it a very special thing. Or do you need a special moment just for you during the day? Whatever, you know, whatever it may be. You can make, I've talked about this actually as a calming tool. So instead of like time out corner, more like a fun corner or a calming corner where they can have their pillows, stuffed animals, music, books, whatever they want. So could she maybe have like a special corner that's only hers that no one else can go to, you know, something like that. And maybe in those moments of me, 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 then, you know, yeah, it is you, you, you over there go. It's all you, everything that you love and everything that you want. And that way it's not, you know, maybe it makes her feel more special. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next question about sleep. What's normal and how to get your kids to sleep. So, I mean, obviously infants, every stage is kind of a little bit different, right? In terms of sleep, yeah. like young school age kids, as the kids get older, moms are saying it's harder to get them to sleep, you know, get them to bed. They're saying, you know, they have this goal of 10 to 12 hours and are we ruining their brain when they're not getting to bed on time and they're cranky when they get up in the morning? 
I mean, I know that um, bedtime is the witching hour at my house as well, because it's like, how do you get all these kids to go to bed? Yeah. Well, and it's hard when you have such varied ranges of age because they all have different bedtimes. I mean, teenagers are like vampires. They go to bed so late. And then the younger kids obviously need an earlier bedtime. So I would say the routine is the most important at any age. You really want to have good sleep hygiene. So for most kids, you want to cut back on screen time a couple hours before bed. That may be harder for older kids that are doing homework. I get that, you know, and, and that's something you, you kind of have to figure out. But definitely any, any kind of like YouTube or, or videos or, or just watching TV for fun, it just stimulates the brain. It's the screen. It's the noise, you know. So that's just hard to transition from watching TV or watching whatever to just going to bed. So I'd say that's really important. Having a routine that you do every night. You know, a lot of times with with babies, it's the bath time and then maybe a massage and then you read a book and you can continue that. I mean, my kids read books on their own. I mean, when we can, we read together, like with my younger one, but as they get older, they tend to just want to read books on their own. So you can do that. There's some apps that you can try, like the calming apps. There's meditation apps that they can listen to before bed. White noise is also really helpful. So either a fan or the sound of a fan or something like that can be helpful to have in the background. And then just being consistent. I know it's hard, but I think what happens with kids is they also get into more activities and sometimes it can be harder to get them to bed based on those activities. And if that's happening, you know, do your best. If you have different kids in different places, do your best. You kids can catch up a little bit on sleep, right? Like they can sleep in a little bit more on weekends or teenagers take naps a hundred percent. I remember that myself. So let them, you know, let them take those time and, and try to catch up if and when they can. But ideally, you want to try to keep them on, on the same schedule to get the maximum benefits and just see how they're doing. Some kids are, are okay getting a little, bit, a little bit less sleep. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, we have a consistent routine at my house. I would say, you know, at least 85% of the time, you know, there's dinner and then bath and story time and in bed and we don't do TV. So I said, but I still struggle. I mean, sometimes I take the light bulbs from their <laughs> lamps <laughs> and they have a noisemaker and I take the light bulbs from their lamp because I'm like, yeah, you got to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough for sure. You know, I think it just depends also on what is it that's causing them to stay awake and Again, thinking about their age. So they do get a little bit older, they need less sleep, and then they go back to needing more sleep as teenagers. So it just depends. You you have to play with that bedtime a little bit. And is there something calming that they can listen to or do right before bedtime that helps them transition? So it, sometimes it's just like your melatonin's a little bit off and getting it back on schedule, but most kids will get the sleep that they need, right? Like as long as you're not noticing your kids either being very hyperactive or very sleepy during the day and they're getting through the day and you haven't noticed any major behavioral changes, I think you're doing okay. 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 Great. Yeah. Yeah. So just be patient and present when they're stalling. (laughs) I feel like that's whenever 
like things escalate in my house <laughs> when the bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's definitely when I was the most stressed. You know what I said to them at one point at eight o'clock, I said, mommy's off the clock. Mm-hmm. So if you guys aren't in bed by eight, then me, mommy's going to come. And you don't want to meet me, mommy. So we did this. And then the next morning, my son said to me, mommy, are you back on the clock? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, are you back on? Are you a mommy again? I said, oh yeah, morning time. I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to go. We're good. So, you know, you could just have like, you guys can stay up, but you're, you're not going to enjoy what's going to happen because truly I needed that time. It was like, I know I was done. I was done. Yeah. So sometimes it's just a matter of setting that, like you can do what you want to do, but we're doing lights out. We're doing, you know, and just having like, if you want a story, we're going to have to do it at this time. And, and it's hard. I'm not saying that any of it makes it easier, but right. definitely having your own limits and right. appreciating that you have your own limits is important too. Okay. Right. Okay. So we can set boundaries and choose how we're going to show up. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. All yes. right. So now we want to talk about some sibling rivalry and also how to like get your kids to cooperate. And obviously it's going to be unique at each age, but instead of giving them a million reminders and feeling like you are nagging them, you know, mm-hmm. how do you get them to cooperate? So why don't we talk about that first and then we'll hit sibling rivalry. You know, part of it, I think it's that you're going to see it and you're, and again, to expect it. Right. So it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that your kids are awful. It doesn't mean any of that. If they are having a hard time cooperating or doing what they need to do at any given point. I think it, again, it goes back to empathizing with each one with whatever is happening. So really not wanting to take sides. If you feel like you want to facilitate, I think the best way to do it is through play. So you can either be like a spectator, like do a play-by-play of everything they're doing on the sidelines, you know, like a sports reporter. You can jump in with a game that you can play together. And I think you also need to set, again, I'm going kind of through these options quickly, but you can also set boundaries. Like I am not okay when you guys do X, Y, Z, right? Like this is, boundary that I have because I'm not okay with you hurting your brother physically. I'm not okay with you hurting with the words that you say. So if you have something that you need to say, we need to figure out how you're going to say it. So again, collaborating with the children, right? It's usually, I'd say oftentimes one a pattern, the same kind of thing that's happening, whether they're fighting over a thing or your attention or whatever it may be. So then it's again, going back to, okay, we have this problem. We're going to need to find the solution that works for all three of us or four of us, you know, whoever's in the family. And you may need to talk to each child separately. Maybe you can do it together, but really coming up with some sort of collaborative way. And again, it's not going to work every time. You're going to have to keep reinstating it. And if it doesn't work, saying to them, you know, leaving that door open when you set up the when you problem solve is saying, okay, let's try this. If it doesn't work, we're going to come back and try something different. Mm-hmm. You leave that door open to keep, to, to keep trying to find something that works. Mm-hmm. So when your kids are constantly fighting and they're coming to you to tattle, but nobody's actually hurt, 
how do you handle that? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I don't like to get involved in those situations as like the referee, right? Yeah. Because you don't even know what really happened. Right. Yeah. So I, I like to try to put the onus back on them or how can you guys figure this out on your own, you yeah. know, and maybe see if you can, again, be a non-partial observer of what's going on. So trying to take out that emotional piece mm-hmm. and helping them problem solve is really the, the ideal thing to do. But it gets hard when it's constant and they're just going, 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 going and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of want to mm-hmm. ignore it <laughs> as much as possible. And I think to an extent, ignoring it is okay too, right? Like just saying, I really feel confident that you guys can figure this out. I have utmost belief in you that you guys can get to this. And if you get to the point that you really can't figure it out, then you can come to me and I'll see if I can help you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, putting it back on them and saying like, I really believe you can do this. And I I really do think introducing play is helpful in those situations. It takes, um, yeah, either, you know, you getting in and playing with them or introducing a game to them that they can play hopefully cooperatively. Maybe in the beginning, they can't play cooperatively and you have to be involved, but something where you can find kind of mutually, they can work together and maybe doing those things more when they're not fighting. So again, they can access it in those times and just say, Hey, remember when you guys played X, Y, Z, and you were able to figure it out. And then the other thing in, in terms of play is making yourself the bad guy. So making them come together against you, right? So if they're fighting over a toy, you can take the toy and run away with it mm-hmm. and have them chase you around. So then you're getting them to kind of maybe get a little bit of their energy out by running. And now you're the bad guy that they're trying to go after. And obviously they know that you don't really want the toy. Right. They have to collaborate together to achieve the same goal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about your parenting program and how someone can work with you. Yeah. So there's a couple options, you know, like you said earlier, I'm in California. I offer the telemedicine option. And globally right now I'm offering basically either a one-on-one session, just a one-time session. If there's like specific problem you want to get to, or there's a 12 week program, which is the program that I went through that I got certified with that really like does the deep work, (laughs) you know? So if you're ready, and I think you can do this at any age of whatever age your kids are, I think you can do this, whether you're having kind of an issue or not. Right. Or Even if doing great. parenting game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's almost better if you do it preventatively. Like I'm like, Oh, if you can, if parents can do this when they have newborn, they'll be like, so ready, you know, for all that stuff. But it's really, it's, it's going back to how you were parented, what you needed and how that's affecting how you show up now and how you want to show up. So that's the other offer. Okay. Awesome. And so how do they find you? So you can find me at my website, askdrmom.com. And there's a dash between doctor and mom on my Instagram at askdrmom underscore and YouTube channel and all those things you can find on my link tree, which is linked on my um, Instagram account. Okay. Get to everything. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'll include that in uh, our show notes as well so that they can easily find you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us your expert advice. Thank you. And thank you for all the mommy questions. I get it. It's not easy. I always feel like, you know, I come on and I'm like, well, you can do this and this and this and this. But the truth is in the moment, there's, you know, sometimes you can't access all that. So one thing I want to leave everyone with is give yourself grace. Know that you're not going to do it perfect every time. And that's okay. If you know you messed up, just know that you can apologize, repair. And that's a really important lesson for your kids to learn also. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. I lost yep. it at that time one night and my now eight-year-old wrote me a letter about how he was sad because I had raised my voice. Yeah. He expressed his That's, that's great letter, insight. Right. And I read it. And of course, you know, all the mom guilt and shame. And I just sat down with all of them and I said, I'm really sorry, but mommy was really frustrated in the moment. And mommy has things to do to run the house. And I need you guys to go to bed whenever I've asked you to go to bed. We've done the stories, we've done the snuggles. Go to sleep. Yes. <laughs> but in that moment, I felt like, okay, I modeled, like, yeah, I blew it. I, I blew up. I didn't control my emotions. I'm sorry you know, how to move forward. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yep. So all hope is not lost. Hang in there. And yeah, it takes practice for all of us. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I need to share this as I'm on so hard. Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was so fun talking to you. Loved it. All right, Sky community, thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.